Welcome to the Only Ways Up podcast. I'm Rebecca Pesh and each week I will be introducing you to amazing women who have moved to Israel from all over the world. They have started businesses, nonprofits, blogs, wellness clinics, and so much more. I want to share with you these inspirational stories of career changes, surviving, family life, dating advice, and personal development. Each episode will focus on a different subject matter to help you realize that everyone had some hardships after immigrating, but they have managed to overcome them to be successful and make positive changes to their lives. Whatever your life goals are, they can become possible here in Israel. Jacqueline Rose moved to Israel from London in 1998. She spent the first 16 years in Israel in the environmental field. She is a wife and mother of five who was multitasking and juggling life, work, family, responsibilities until she discovered Yoga Nashit, Yoga for Women's Health. Through her studies and teaching, she has been able to develop a deeper understanding, awareness and connection to her body, how it works and how it naturally changes over time. She is qualified as a yoga for pregnancy instructor and a yoga nashit instructor. Most recently, in 2019, she qualified as a therapeutic yoga instructor. Here is her full story. Today on the Only Way Is Up podcast with me, Rebecca Pash, we have Jacqueline Rose. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. So a little bit of background. When did you make Aliyah and where from? And also, why did you make Aliyah? Oh, a lot of questions. So actually, you're speaking to me the day after I celebrated 22 years in Israel. Wow. So I made Aliyah in 1998 at the age of 24. I was single. Um, I, yeah, so 22 years ago, I've been living here. Um, I spent a year off or a year learning in Israel. I was at Orot after I finished my A-levels and I spent that time here. And that was really when I knew that I wanted to come back and I wanted to make Israel my home. Um, I went back to England. I had my five-year plan, but I know a lot of people have five-year plans and the five years stay the same and the plan just keeps getting pushed off. But I had a five-year plan and I made sure it became the four-year plan and then a three-year plan and a two-year plan. And I wanted to get my degree and my master's in England, which I did. And then um, after that, I made Zalia. Wow. So what did you study in the UK? So my first uh, profession was as um, in the environmental field. I studied economics and geography um, at UCL, and then I did a master's in environmental studies at SOAS. Um, and then I worked a little bit. I worked for a year to sort myself out and to get everything sort of ready and plan my Aliyah. And then basically when I made Aliyah, as soon as I made Aliyah, I started working in the environmental field. I worked in the environmental field in Israel really for about just under 20 years um, until um, I totally left it and have gone into a second career, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you have any idea what it would be like before you made Aliyah, even though you'd come on your year off, but did you have any idea what it would be like? So um, obviously I've been to Israel on family holidays, 
sort of in the years before. And I had a few friends who had made Aliyah. And I was actually very lucky that when I made Aliyah, even though I made Aliyah single and by myself, um, I moved into an apartment with two girlfriends who were already living here. Um, so I knew that I was making Aliyah to, uh, to be with friends. And I had lots of friends who were here. But I am actually the eldest child in my family and I'm the eldest grandchild on, on my mother's side with sort of with all my cousins. And I really was the first one coming. I had no close family. I had no one here. Um, subsequently, siblings and cousins um, and even my father have come. So I now have a lot of family living in Israel. But 22 years ago, I really came by myself. But I knew after spending the year in a rot and having friends here. I came back when I was in university, I came back every summer. Um, so from that time, I was really planning to be here and I wanted it to be as smooth as possible to set myself up as much as possible. I opted not to do all the summer trips to all other wonderful places, but I came back here every summer. I did summer internships. I wanted to lay the groundwork so that when I actually made Aliyah, um, it was as soft a landing as possible. Yeah, for sure. So we all had our shares of ups and downs since making Aliyah. So I'd love you to tell our listeners the first time you really felt you were living in Israel, you had a challenge to overcome and how did you get through it? So it's a really good question. Um, I think because I made Aliyah single, um, in the intervening 22 years, I've seen friends make Aliyah single, married, with kids, without kids. Um, and there's a lot of stability and a lot of security coming with a spouse, with a family. But when you come single, they're really, it's just you. And it's just a lot of fun because you don't have other responsibilities. So the challenges, I think, obviously there were bureaucratic challenges. My, my um, yeah, there, there are a lot of bureaucratic challenges and making Aliyah and having that experience of having to go to Misrata Panim and having to go here, having to go there, having to open up a bank. Those were just challenges that I was in all panetzi on. We were all doing it together. It was part of the Aliyah experience. I think the real challenges came when real life hit. You know, you get married, you have kids, and just like challenges of being a real proper grown-up adult, having to find work. Those were sort of when the challenges hit more rather than I think in the earlier years, because it was, you know, it, it was a lot of fun, you know, living in Jerusalem, you know, yeah. having fun, living with friends. So I think the real challenges arrived um, later on. Um, when you really have to, when you've got to buy a house and you don't really understand how the system works, when you're doing things that are more grown up, um, and, and you've got to really, you know, stand up and face the Israeli system as a non-Israeli. Those things, I think, really were, were, were more challenging than in the early days. Yeah, I understand that. I can see that. So what do you love about living in Israel? Oh, we could spend a whole hour on what do we love about living in Israel. So I come from quite um, a Zionist family and um, my grandfather actually when he uh, survived the holocaust he came to israel and he uh, fought in the war of independence and he set up the early years of his life post holocaust here until he moved to england to be with my grandmother and so i come from a very zionist family i grew up in you know zionist youth movements and um really 
the, the connection with being a link in the chain of Jewish history and Jewish future. That element of Jewish continuity and really being part of something that is larger than just yourself, I think is one of sort of the reasons why I wanted to live here and what I still love every day. And now having children, Israeli children who are here, my our eldest daughter um, has just finished high school and she'll be going to the army soon. And you know, just knowing that my that my grandfather fought in the War of Independence as a Holocaust survivor and his great-granddaughter is going to be serving in the army, that whole historical connection, the roots, the everything, just is so, so meaningful, it's so powerful for me. Um, obviously the small, simple little things about living in Israel that can drive you crazy or can make you laugh. Um, our family, my husband, myself and our children, we actually were on Shlichut for two years between 2010 and 2012. And we went to Atlanta and we were Shlichim of the Jewish agency and we worked in the community there. And being representatives, not as English Jews, but as Israelis and bringing Israel to a community, to a Jewish community, that also was, you know, very, very powerful. So do you think it was here. a sorry I interrupted you do you think it was a good um it was good to bring your children out of Israel for those two years for them to see a bit more than just living in Israel for their whole life yeah so our children are obviously um Israelis but born to Anglo parents and they spend a lot of time in England and you know vacations holidays and all different things and reasons why we go so they understand the non-Israeli culture but definitely living for two years in a totally different community outside of Israel and being considered even though you know my husband and I are English and we speak English at home my kids are sort of Israeli they also have an Englishness to them but when we were abroad, we were the Israeli representatives, right. we were the Israeli shlichim, and so there was an element of, they were representing Israel abroad, and even at the time, you know, it was now 20 years ago, since 10, 10 years ago since we left, since we went on shlichut, um, and so they were young, they still understood the significance of what that meant, and having that time in America, and living abroad, and experiencing that and then coming back to Israel there definitely are values that they appreciate about being here um even though you know it, we had an amazing amazing time while we were on Shlichut really fantastic yeah I'm sure um so you worked in the environmental field and now you are a yoga instructor so I'd love to hear how you transition from that to what you are doing now Yes, so I trained in the environmental field and when I made Aliyah, I pretty much worked straight away. Um, I volunteered at the Society of the Protection of Nature in Israel in Jerusalem. Um, and I basically started my career in that field and I worked in private um, business. I worked most of the time in NGO nonprofit. I did environmental awareness, environmental education. Um, and for much of the time, I was actually at the at the Society of Protection Nature in Israel, the for for much of the time. I, I came and went and did other things in between. 
But in 2012, when we came back from Shlichut, um, I was pregnant with our fifth child, and I knew that I needed to get have a bit of time to um, sort of settle back our kids and settle back into life. While we were on Shlichut, actually, I had taught um, environmental education and yoga to um, early uh, um, it's called early childhood. So everything below Kita Aleph age. Um, I'd done other things in the school, but I'd also, I have taught, I practiced yoga off and on throughout my life. And um, I just said to the principal that I could teach yoga for kids and do it in Hebrew, which he wanted. And so I taught myself to become a yoga for kids teacher. So when we came back, um, I had baby number five. Um, our eldest daughter also had some, uh, she got sick and she wasn't well and that took a chunk of time out of our lives. And so when that was all over, um, I really wanted to do something totally different. I didn't want to go back to the job that I'd had and I basically decided to retrain. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I just wanted to do something for myself, something that I enjoyed just to take some time out to think a bit. And I decided to do a yoga for pregnancy training course because I'd been pregnant a number of times, you know, I'd had five kids. I thought I knew something a bit about this. So I just decided just on a whim, just to do something totally different, to do something for myself um, after all the things we've been through. So I studied um, in Israel at Wingate yoga for uh, pregnancy, to be a yoga for pregnancy instructor. And it really was life-changing and it has totally changed the trajectory of my professional career and everything that I've done since. And that was in um, 2014, so six years ago. So six years ago, I really began the transition of reducing my involvement in the environmental field and growing my yoga practice. And since then, since that first training of being a yoga for pregnancy instructor, I've actually trained as a yoga for women's health instructor. Um, I've trained as a therapeutic yoga instructor using yoga as a therapeutic tool. Um, and now I'm really going into the world of women's health and I'm work, um, I'm a menopause coach. I work with women on their menopause journey, really combining, looking at um, your body and your life, your health and wellness, similar to sort of things that you do, but um, health and wellness as a holistic approach, really that body-mind connection, understanding the relationship between the physical and the emotional. Um, specifically now with women on their menopause journey, using yoga practice, specifically yoga for women's health, which is a very specific approach to yoga, as the glue, as the practice to the coaching, to the theory, to the guiding women um, in, in, in other areas. That's amazing. So a little um, um, information, how long does it take to become a yoga instructor? Um, how many hours do you have to do? Just so anyone who's interested, especially getting into the field which you're in now, um, yeah. how long does it take? So to be officially recognized as a regular yoga teacher it's a two-year program there are all my yoga training has been in Israel so while my first degree and my first profession was sort of I studied in England now all my yoga training has all been in Israel um, and um, the 
qualifications, the recognition here, the, the main two-year uh, yoga teacher course, which is done at Wingate, is recognized by the International Yoga Association. Um, I actually have not qualified as that two, in that two-year yoga course. I have done what they call in Israel um, either Hishtal Miyot or smaller courses, and I'm recognized as um, a madricha, but not as a mora. It's like being right. a teacher or being an instructor. For me personally, I have chosen at the moment not to become an official recognized yoga teacher. Um, the, my yoga journey is going in so many different ways. I don't have a, um, I, I don't feel that at the moment being a, a qualified yoga in, teacher would actually give me anything that I don't have already through the qualifications I have. The yoga for uh, women's health, the yoga nashit training that I did is a year program. It is done only with the founder of this specific um, approach of yoga in Kfasaba. The woman is Mira Aratsi Padan and she is the founder of this specific approach to yoga. She's been teaching for about 13 years doing teacher trainings um, and I trained with her. And if I wanted to upgrade my qualification to be recognized in the sort of institute, in the association, I would just need to do. Um, a hashlama, like uh, extra hours, because uh, her program is recognized also. So there are places to do, to do yoga training in Israel. Wingate, uh, the Wingate Institute is one of the most recognized and sort of it's the national you know, center for sport and, and coaching. So that is where you can do it. But there are other places if you want to do Hishtal Muyot, if you want to do specializations, there are so many other um, yoga trainings and yoga uh, pr training programs available in Israel. How have you seen that it really helps women? Like you went down this path and you've started. So how have you seen, especially um, with menopause, like how do you see that women come to you maybe with the hot flashes and all of that, that you are teaching them yoga? So how do you see what you do really helping yeah. them? So the yoga that I teach, the yoga for women's health, is really about um, listening to your body and uh, creating balance, specifically hormonal balance, really using the tools. And also I combine it a lot with the therapeutic yoga that I learned uh, because the two of them together really give me such an insight into how the body functions and works as a holistic entity and how everything is um, affected by everything. The main principles um, are deep breath work, which can totally change the way you feel, the mind-body physical emotional connection, the connection and, and balancing hormones, which is crucial for women's health because women really are a function of our hormones. And a lot of what we do and a lot of what we feel or what we experience, whether it be during menopause or at any other stage of our life, is really... Um, couched or the basis of it is our hormones and also the connection with the pelvis pelvic floor muscles which are central to women's health and yoga for women's health and understanding um the phrase that we like to use in in yoga for women's health is the only thing constant in life is change and trying to create the stability to give space for the instability 
this dichotomy between as a woman we are always giving our bodies are always in constant flux everything is always in constant change there is the juggle there is the you know giving to everyone else and within that world of giving and instability and constant change and constant demand how do we create for ourselves some sense of stability balance uh, peace set being centered and using the pelvis pelvic floor muscles and all the tools of yoga nashi to be able to create that so um it's a lot about the stability versus the instability, the support versus the flexibility, the being able to move and adapt while you feel grounded, all those dichotomies that are so central to being a woman and the natural hormonal changes that a woman goes through throughout her life. What are the differences? Um, are there any specific moves that you do in um, yoga nashit that we would like I practice yoga now three times a week. So um, I'd love to know, like, what are the specific moves that are good for a woman's? Right. So I think it's less about the moves. It's more about the intention and what you want to achieve. So in a regular yoga class, you will have a teacher who has a session mapped out. And depending on the types of yoga that you practice, there may be either, either set sequences that you do, or maybe the teacher will, you know, do different things. But it's about... The body, about the poses, about getting your body into the poses and achieving flexibility or strength or balance, you know, in the pose. But it's really about having the yoga experience for your body. With yoga nashit um, and really allowing, it's allowing the woman's body, the woman to come as she is any given day and the intention that you want to achieve. So it's less about the poses, but what the poses do for you as you show up today on the mat. So for example, if we're looking at um, women in their, on their menopause journey, if they are experiencing certain things, or even you know, women during pregnancy, I, I, you know, I started off teaching women, pregnant women, but it's always about using yoga as a tool for what you need to achieve, for what you need today as you come on the mat. So if you're a woman um, in menopause who is experiencing hot flushes or, you know, menopause is all about this very, very um, tumultuous hormonal change. We want to be able to try and balance the hormones to manage the symptoms. So, um, you know, if let's say she's tired, she's very, she's exhausted, she's suffering from sleep um, fluctuations, we want to be able to um, energize her. We want to be able to get her energy levels up. We want to be able to work on the adrenal glands. Adrenal glands are really functioning often at overtime um, at this time of life. Um, so we want to be able to massage and work mm -hmm. adrenal glands. So that may be certain poses that, you know, get the adrenal glands working we may be even though she's feeling tired and she thinks she can't move we want to actually get her energy we want blood to get pumping around the body we want her to feel to have some flow poses so she actually gets moving rather than sort of um um, going into the tiredness and relaxing her even more to get her energized we actually want to do the opposite of what you would think um right. A, a pregnant woman who I work a lot with, with uh, pregnant women, we want to use the yoga poses to help her body adapt to the changes and get her body ready for birth. 
So um, there obviously at that time, there may be certain poses that are not appropriate, but there are plenty of poses that are to help strengthen the body, to help her manage with the changing shape that her body is going through. Her spine, a woman during pregnancy and as her as her stomach grows, as her you know baby grows, the shape of the spine changes so much mm -hmm. that we want to create more stability and strength to strengthen her spine. We want to create, you know, a pregnant woman can't breathe very much. The, the baby's really crushing on the lungs. Yeah. We want to do extent, chest extension poses that allow her to breathe more. So my focus is really using yoga as a tool for how what the woman is experiencing and what the yoga poses need to help her achieve rather than just going to do a yoga class for the sake of you know doing a yoga class right so that's sort of that's sort of the approach it's a very it, the intention is very different okay i get that I'm always meant to like set an intention before each class and then i'm like yeah i'll just do it <laughs> that's exactly. my intention get through the class get through the class, do yeah. the poses. Um, how did you start? Like once you'd passed all your exams, how did you open a practice or start teaching women? Okay, so once I qualified as a yoga for pregnancy instructor, I'm very blessed that I have lots of family living here and one of my cousins was pregnant and she was living in a community where there were young pregnant women. And I basically started straight away and I used the connections that I had to grow a group. Um, I've been doing this for six years. I have not been doing it um, exclusively for six years because it took me a little bit of time to transition out of the environmental field. Um, and also I'm now setting up a business. I, I definitely will tell you that I feel the transition has been that I saw myself as a yoga teacher to being a yoga business to now being a yoga entrepreneur. And there is a transition, a mindset, a, a language transition that comes with seeing yourself just as a yoga teacher, which I definitely am, but I am not only a yoga teacher. I'm a women's health advocate. I'm a menopause coach. I now have a business. I now need to be dealing with social media and promoting and collaborating. And I think that transition, that journey of understanding of just being the thing that you qualified in versus being a business and then seeing myself as an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. all that that is involved, um, is quite profound because it changes the way you grow whatever it is that you're doing. For sure. I see that as well. Like I became a trainer at the same time, six years ago. And you can see, like, I just wanted to be a trainer. I didn't want to deal with social media. I don't, like, I still don't, but I have to. Yeah. Um, and then you're just like, I just want to be a trainer. I want people to come. I don't need to, you know, be a business or an entrepreneur. But in the end, you just, you have to. There's you have to. to yeah. Yeah. I, unfortunately, um, I realized a little while ago that I wasn't going to make my millions by teaching yoga classes in my basement. Right. It had to be something bigger than that. Um, my language of communication, the, the, my process is, is, uh, the glue is yoga, but it's so much more than just the yoga today. 
It's a much larger women's health conversation. It's supporting women on their menopause journey. It's supporting women through pregnancy and childbirth. It's so much larger than just yoga. Yoga is the, my language of communication, but it really is so much larger. And I think that's the transition of really growing a business. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a solopreneur, whatever, whatever word you want to attach to it. You know, people, there are mompreneurs, there are yogapreneurs, there are like all these different preneurs. But at the end of the day, I have a message that I want to share. I want to be able to support women. And I feel that I have a way that I can do that that is very um, relatable because I am a busy working mom with five kids and I understand what that means, but yet I have managed to implement those principles into my own life. So I just, I, I want to be able to share that and it's, and with that comes running a business, with that comes understanding social media, understanding collaboration, understanding marketing. And, you know, there is yeah. so much more that comes with that. For sure. There's loads. Do you work in Hebrew or in English? I do both. Oh, amazing. Um, I'm very, I was a bit of a nerd when I made Aliyah and I took my all pun quite seriously. Um, and I did all the homework and I thought, you know, I've got six months that is being paid for me to go and learn Hebrew. I want to take it seriously. So that really was the start. I've always worked in both English and Hebrew. Um, I studied all my training for yoga has been in Hebrew. Um, so I teach in both and I can manage in both. And I'm very, very lucky, despite my kids still correcting my Hebrew. Um, I am very lucky that I can, I'm very highly functioning in Hebrew. So yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I'd love you to tell everyone, how did you work through the coronavirus or, and how are you working now as well? Yeah, so it's a really great, great question. Um, the yoga that I, I know so many people have gone online with yoga. So many yoga teachers have gone online and there's so much available online. For me personally, my yoga is very um, interactive. It's very visual. It's not so much hands-on as in I touch and move you know, my students into poses. It's more that I really need to see how your body is moving. I need to understand your body. I have um, a yoga therapy client actually, who um, it's a one-on-one -on -one client and she's in pain and she's suffering with certain you know, pain points. And it's, you can't do that yoga online. I need to really see how she's been. I need to be able to adapt poses for her. You know, like even just yesterday, I was teaching her yesterday and we were doing, you know, we're lying on the ground. So it's all comfortable and it's all relaxed, but I want her to bring her knee over her body. And it was painful for her. Right. But when I saw it in the moment, I could adapt, right, let's put a pillow underneath your knee to help support you. It's really difficult to do that online. So it's been a challenge. I will tell you that I started off Corona. Um, I have a very active Facebook page. Um, and I started off doing, with, when we were all in lockdown, doing yoga with kids. Based on my um, yoga, yoga with kids that I'd done you know, in Atlanta. And also I um, spent a couple of years also doing yoga for kids in Israel. Um, I, it wasn't yoga for kids. It was yoga with kids. It was the same type of yoga that I do, but with my children. So that I was doing online and that was really, really fun. Um, but I actually, 
as all good entrepreneurs, I also have a side hustle, which is um, website building. I build websites and I build websites specifically for health and wellness coaches. Um, so I've actually been doing some of that work on the side, sort of using my health and wellness yoga training to help other health and wellness coaches sort of showcase what they do through websites. I built my own website. I've built other people's websites. So that is sort of what I've been doing. And also really developing the, the private one-on-one. -on -one. I do um, really developing the menopause support that I give. So within my menopause sort of yoga for menopause and menopause coaching work I do, um, that also includes yoga, but it also inc includes um, a health and wellness assessment. It's a six-week six program that I do. Um, and really supporting women in as much as I can do in the health and wellness side of it that I can do online. Now that things have opened up again a bit, although maybe they'll close down again, we don't really know. Yeah. Um, the, the yoga really at the moment is either one-on-one. -on -one. It's not so much in a group. Um, it's either one-on-one -on -one or it is um, supporting women in other ways. Um, and the yoga, for me personally, the yoga um, has really been, my yoga practice and my yoga teaching has really been affected. It's been quite challenging. Yeah, I, well, I can imagine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very yeah. much, it's closing, it's opening. Who knows what's going to happen? Are we going into lockdown? I mean, yeah, yeah it's all yeah. fun and games. Yeah. How do you see your business growing in the next five years? So I will tell you that over the last six years, despite wanting to have a plan, really I feel that my journey has been led by a higher being. I'm not so much in control as to where this is all taking me. I definitely know that I want to support women um, in improving their health and well-being, specifically now women on their menopause journey and to really work to help educate and create awareness and understanding for women about what is going on in their bodies. Women are so, um, unfortunately, we really have not been educated how our bodies work. We may learn about menstrual cycle periods in school a little bit if we do biology. We may learn a little bit about it if we're trying to get pregnant or if we are pregnant or if we're sort of having problems. We really normally come to our health and well-being when we have problems. You know, you're trying to get pregnant, you can't get pregnant. You've got irregular periods, you're suffering with PMS. It's very much a problem-based approach to our health and well-being with a medical solution, you know, I've got this problem, let me go to the doctor, let him give me a medical solution to help me fix the problem I'm, I'm facing. Rather than a much larger understanding of how our bodies work, how they're meant to work, how we can help them work in a balanced way. Um, so I'm really, really passionate about that, about um, hormones, um, really helping women, um, women's health in general, helping women, passionate about helping women improve their health and well-being. Um, so I would really like to go deeper into that, specifically menopause, um, but really just um, much deeper into the women's health sphere. Always for me using yoga as that language of communication, because for me that has been profound on a personal level regular yoga practice changed the way I feel physically, emotionally, mentally, everything. I function in a totally different way when I do a regular yoga practice. I'm much more in touch. I'm much more listening to my body. I can deal and manage with 
my life in a much, much easier way. So I really want to be able to share that with other women. Do you feel that it really helps you to be a mother of five children as well? Yeah, I, I, it's quite ironic that I've ended up being a yoga teacher because I'm known in my family not as the calmest person. So, <laughs> so the fact that I actually ended up being a yoga teacher and that I have a yoga voice and that I can actually create calm and balance for other <laughs> women, my family find it quite hysterical. But I think I actually went into that because I needed it myself. Right. And I know that in the six years that I've been um, in this world of yoga professionally, I have totally changed the way that my life functions. I do not run the rat race anymore. At least I try not to. I try to, you know, the way I structure my week, the way that I function, the way that I interact with others, the way that the expectations I have on myself are totally, totally different now to how they were, let's say, you know, eight years ago or in my thirties or when in my thirties, I feel I lived by the mantra. If you need something done, ask a busy person. And I was that busy person. The more I did, the more I felt accomplished, the more I could achieve, you know, kids, you know, working, juggling, being that super mom that we all want to be having a job at some point, and it comes with age, it comes with maturity, it comes with understanding, it comes with also very much being on your menopause journey. I'm about to turn 46. Menopause journey is made up of different stages. Menopause journey, I call it a journey because it really is a journey of years. Um, there are certain expectations that you just let go of. I know that um, I really knew that that juggle, that stress life, that busy, busy, busy wasn't serving me. It wasn't working for me. I wasn't showing up as the mom that I wanted to be. I wasn't showing up as the wife I wanted to be. I wasn't showing up as the, you know, the business person I wanted to be. So I really have totally changed things. Um, it comes at a price and there right. is a price you pay, but you gain so much more um by that and just understanding how to manage how to function within the cyclical life that women function in women always assume and this is something that we have um on us from internally but also mm -hmm. from our external culture society expectations that women have to always function up over here at a constant high level we our demands are to always function at a constant high level. The problem is, is that biologically, women are actually functioning like this, in this wave, in this constant wave. And for us to expect to function up here, when the natural functioning is like this, you're going to have this gap. Sometimes you're gonna be really high, sometimes you're gonna be low, and sometimes you're gonna be in the middle. And adapting, to that fluctuation has really been life-changing. And that's a profound message that I want women, I wanna really help women understand and how to implement that in real life. Yeah, I get that. I, I for sure get that. Um, it's good for like people to take time for themselves as well. You see that women especially don't take time for self-care, self-love, um, and just yeah. doing, and you know, we just go through the motions. We have our period, we, you know, yeah. get pregnant yeah. or, not, or whatever. And then we go through yeah. menopause. And it's like, for me, I mean, I'm 38. and But um, I don't know anything about menopause. Never been taught anything. Don't know what it is. And no one really talks yeah. about it. It's a very, like, embarrassing. It's a very hushed up. Yes. Yeah. It's a very hushed up subject because um, 
I, I have um, a presentation I do, and I, I've been doing it quite a lot recently, actually online. I've been doing a lot of webinars online about the menopause myths and why menopause has such a negative, um, such negative connotations and why women suffer during menopause because of that, because it's such an embarrassing, a shameful thing that we have sort of developed this relationship with menopause as being because it's perceived as being the beginning of the end, because it's perceived as being, you know, once a woman goes through her menopause, she sort of lost her usefulness anymore. And um, there are so, there's so much physical, emotional, mental um, baggage that comes with that word menopause that really that needs to be totally, totally changed. The perceptions, the language, the experience um, needs to be totally changed and it is happening. That change in dialogue, that opening up of the conversation, that making it, that normalizing it is really, really happening in lots of different places. Um, and really I, I, I wanna be part of that sort of movement to really yeah. change the way women understand their menopause journey, change their experience, and thereby changing what post-menopause life should look like. Yeah, for sure. I get that. Anything else you'd like to share um, with the listeners wow. about yoga, menopause, anything? Um, I think I said quite a lot about that. I, I really am passionate about changing the conversation, changing the language, changing the experience, um, and doing it, you know, in Israel. But again, as we go back to sort of what it means to be a businesswoman, you're not restricted anymore. What, what the pandemic, what COVID has definitely allowed us to do with much more flexibility, with much more freedom, is take our businesses online, not just for me in, in doing a yoga class, but webinars and Zoom meetings. And I'm connecting and collaborating with so many more women today than I was eight months ago, because to set up a Zoom meeting is so normal today. Yeah. You know, I'm connecting with women in Australia and in America and obviously in England, you know, just set up a Zoom meeting and, and it's, that has, that really has, you know, the, the reach, my, the potential, the reach potential is so much larger today. It's just become, even though technology and, and internet and Zoom was, you know, I was using Zoom before the pandemic hit, but it's become a much more acceptable way to communicate and to interact with people and to collaborate with people. Yeah, for sure. This has definitely changed the way people do business. Yeah. What is your definition of success? Well, really hard. Um, I think that there is success based on things we can measure. How much money do I earn? Um, how many people have I taught? How many women attended a webinar? There is, you know, sort of measurable success, which is super important because that's how you know you're growing. But I think um, a deeper success is feeling that you are doing what you're meant to be doing. You know, I know I'm so passionate about this and I speak to women and they have never heard these conversations before and the impact that I can have on women. Um, for me, that is really powerful and that is real success. And also, you know, changing the way my children understand women's life cycle. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have five kids. I have two girls, three girls and two boys. And even my son, my 13 year old son knows the word menopause. 
And for me, that is a major, major thing. You know, like that, the fact that I can open up a conversation that isn't going to be filled with embarrassment and shame. Right. That yeah. for me is, 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 yeah, is really powerful and it is really successful. I, I like that. What is one thing you are most grateful for? Oh, wow. Um, I have to say, I guess we're grateful for our health today. That's like the most important thing. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I have been given. Um, we are not in an easy time at the moment, but when I look back, I know that, that everything I have done has led me to where I am today. I really see my life, every step, every, every you know, decision that we didn't know why we were making that decision or something that didn't go our way, it was all stepping stones leading me to where I am today. And so I know that sometimes things don't work out the way that you hope or they don't work out the way you have planned. But I see my life as this stepping stone of journeys. And so I know that I'm grateful looking back for everything that has happened on that journey. Grateful today for the understanding, the awareness, the acceptance of what was and what will be. Um, yeah. What have you learned about yourself since moving to Israel? Oh, wow. Well, I was 24 when I made Aliyah, and I made Aliyah as a single girl, moved in with two friends. Today, I am married with five kids, living in a home that I've built um, with, you know, a career, a second career, with a side career, with all the things that are going on. And I think just, you know, life teaches you about resilience, about accepting things. I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned living in Israel and also just in life is to believe that everything is going to work out for the best. And um, I think Oprah Winfrey has a saying, or she quotes someone else with a saying that if it hasn't yet worked out, it means you haven't yet ended that, that thing. I think it goes something along that, those lines. You know, if they, that, life is a long and windy road. That is definitely something that I've learned. Life is a long and windy road, and it's gonna take you in all these different curves and bends. And sometimes you can't see where you're going, and sometimes, you know, you're in a forest and there are lots of, you know, things that are hidden from you. But at the end of the day, things do work out the way they are meant to work out for you. Um, and I think that is, that is sort of the biggest lesson I've learned, and especially in Israel, because living in Israel can sometimes be totally, totally crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think if you view life as this long and windy road, as a journey, I, I call menopause journey a journey because it is a journey of a number of years. Most people just call it menopause. I really see life as a journey and, and it is a long and winding journey. So yeah, I think that's <laughs> my, my biggest lesson that I've learned so far. It's a good lesson. What are your guilty pleasures? What do you enjoy to do outside of working and being with your kids? I really like, this is so stupid. <laughs> it really is a guilty pleasure. Actually, my son loves it also. We really love watching um, house decorating programs. That's fun. 
I can really get lost in someone else's dream house. <laughs> I mean, I'm blessed to live in a lovely home myself that I own and I have decorated. But um, I, my guilty pleasure is really watching house decorating programs on. <laughs> That's fun. Um, I love yes, that. Yes, yes. Get get a little pe- little pieces of inspiration. For sure. It's, you know what? It's real. You can totally switch off. And totally disconnect. And the disconnecting sometimes is so, so important. For sure. That ability to just switch off. And switching off doesn't mean switching off being on social media. Switching off means switching off and just allowing yourself, as you said, that real guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm very, very into my house decorating programs. It's fun. Like I watch a million dollar listing just to see the big house. Oh, great. Yeah. Love all that. <laughs> yes. So the two final questions, but I'm sure you often thought through the hardships and the challenges about maybe returning back to the UK and also wondered what life would have been like if you'd never made Aliyah. Where would you be now? What would you be doing? How would your parallel life have continued? Really, really interesting. And I, it's a great question, which I will answer. I just want to preface it by saying I really don't like living life in regret and living life in the what ifs because that can often really paralyze you. So given that I don't like to live life in regret and given that I don't li- like to live life in the what ifs, I have, you, you told me you were going to ask me this question and I found it really, really difficult to imagine. I look at my friends who are living in England who didn't make Aliyah and the life that they have led and, you know, exactly the same type of life that I would have led. But as you said, just in England, um, it's really, really difficult for me to imagine it. I assume that I probably would have stayed in the environmental field and gone into some type of environmental consultancy. I probably wouldn't have gone into NGO work as I would have done in Israel. I probably would have stayed more in consultancy business type of work. Um, would my life have ended up coming into the yoga sphere? Maybe, you know, I, I think, you know, I married someone who's in education, who's a teacher. He would have gone on to be head of Jewish studies in a school or head of school in England. Maybe our lives would have gone to America anyway. I think probably if I wasn't living in Israel, um, if we weren't passionate about coming back to Israel, we very well could have stayed in America. I think that actually is probably more likely. Um, had we not had the desire to bring our children back to Israel, to have our, raise our children, our Israeli children as Israelis in Israel and being here, we probably actually would have stayed in America. We would have had many more opportunities. My husband would have had many more opportunities um, within the educational fields in America. I definitely, as a yoga teacher, would have had many, many more opportunities in America. Um, so the what ifs, the regrets, the how would our life have been, it's difficult to imagine. I definitely find it very, very difficult to imagine my life in England. Um, that I will tell you. Ironically, because we lived in America, I think also because I was never married with kids in England. I left England as a single person. Um, but we lived in America as a, as a married couple with kids as a family. So from for that reason, I, I sort of see my life, um, I can envis- envisage or visualize my life in America as a family more than I can visualize my life in England as a family just because I never did it. Because you never did it. Um, I get that. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. So for my final question, Israel isn't always perfect. And I'm sure there are many things that you miss from both the UK and the US. Um, so if you were to build a city from scratch, what would be the first building you'd put in the city, the first law you would pass and the people you'd bring with you? Okay. So I still have my environmental roots deep, deep in me. And I think the first thing, I, I live in Modian, which is so is meant to be a planned city um, although it's sort of planned around neighborhoods but the thing that is amazing in Modi which I would definitely bring to my own city first is a very big green space in the middle of the city a bit like New York has Central Park in London we have all these big parks all over the place Modi we do have a central park type of thing um, a central green space is such a great place to create community and to be the center, the heart of the city. It sets a certain tone um, for the city. So I definitely think a big green space in the center of the city is my first thing that I would do. The first law that I would enact is probably um, making Shabbat some type of day of non-activity not from a religious point of view but more from a again from a communal society point of view having a day doesn't need to be shabbat it just be a day where people don't work people spend a day with their families people go and do fun act fun things um i think we're really really missing that um in our lives i know that you know we do have shabbat for those people a religious shabbat is a religious experience and less of a sort of relaxing just fun go out that sunday that sunday yeah. that we all miss um i that sunday family going out to the park just having a day where you can just do fun things um i think is something that we we all miss quite a lot in israel yeah i can see that and the people yeah, so I will tell you, I am part of a very large and close family, and we are actually just about to make our son's bar mitzvah in a couple of weeks, but um, we are limited as to what we can do. We have family in England that cannot come. We have family now in Israel that we were planning on being with. I have close family in Israel that we were planning on being with, which now we probably will not be able to be with based on the restrictions that are about that exist and are about to be imposed. So for me, my family, my immediate family, my larger extended family are a very, very important part of my life, my children's life. Um, so I would definitely, <laughs> I think with the family that I have, we could create our own little town. <laughs> for sure. You have a massive family. Yeah. So, and, and we're, I'm blessed that we're all very, very close. I grew up with my cousins, you know, my siblings with, thank God, very close. And uh, my cousins I grew up with. So we are all very close and we take our, we have it sort of as an inheritance, as a legacy from our grandparents and our parents. We take our relationships very seriously. So I don't know if they would all like to live with me, but I'd at least like to live with them. You could just teach them yoga and calm them all down and they'll be happy. Exactly. Exactly. So where can everyone find you? Tell everyone your social media links, website, everything. Yeah, so I'm at The Yoga Room 120, The Yoga Room 120. I'm at that address everywhere. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash The Yoga Room 120. Instagram, the same. Um, my website is The Yoga Room 120 and at email, The Yoga Room 120 at gmail.com. So I've made it very easy for everyone to find me. It's The Yoga Room 120. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. It's been a real honor. I know you've had some amazing speakers on your podcast, so I'm really honored to be included in them. I am honored to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Only Ways Up podcast. And thank you again to my guest today. I would love to hear from you, my listeners. What inspired you from this episode? What did you like and what would you like to hear more about? You can tweet us at Only Ways Up Pod. You can comment on one of the posts on the Instagram page at Only Ways Up Podcast. Or you can send us an email to onlywaysuppodcast at gmail.com. Your feedback is really important. Please, if you haven't done so already, and it should only take a minute, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This will help to continue the success and bring you more content. If you loved the episode today, why not share it on your Instagram stories? You can take a picture, tag a friend and we can increase the amount of listeners. Thank you again and remember, the only way is up.